0: Hi, and welcome to This Adoptee Life podcast. I'm Amanda, your host, and I'm so happy that you are here. This Adoptee Life is where adoptees can come to explore our story, own our experience, and share our truth in supporting community with fellow adoptees and the world. This is a podcast for anyone who is either connected to or interested in hearing more about adoption from the perspective of adoptees mainly. For my fellow adoptees, I wish to offer um, support, comfort, validation, and hope. Please know that you are not alone. For non-adoptees, I hope this can be a resource and a place where you can come and listen in and learn important information as we share from our experiences and our lives as adoptees. Please follow This Adoptee Life here on the podcast and consider leaving a review. It really does help get the message out there. It helps us reach more people, grow the audience, so that we can put out more episodes and help more people. You can also find This Adoptee Life as a blog and website at thisadopteelife.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram. And why not join the community on the website, sign up to get the newsletter, and that way you will be notified when there are new blog posts, when there are updates and events coming uh, via The Sadafi Life. Now, let's head into today's episode. Today, I sit down with Patrick Armstrong fellow transnational and transracial adoptee. I first heard you, Patrick, in a room that you hosted on Clubhouse. It is about a year ago. And I wanted to mention that because there were adoptees in there complimenting you on the supportive space that you were holding and creating for fellow adoptees. So I want people to know that about you. And um, you are the co-host of the podcast, let's see if I can pronounce this, the Janshi show. I got that right. Okay, cool. (laughs) And then you are on social media under the handle Patrick in the world. Those are just a couple of things or a few things, a few ways that you are showing up for fellow adoptees. And I would like to hand it over to you so that you can introduce yourself and um, share a little bit from your adoptee story.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, First off, Amanda, thank you for having me on the show. Um, And also, thank you for that compliment about Clubhouse.
0: (laughs) It feels Uh, like it was so long Interesting. I feel like I was
1: following you before then. Um, So that's funny that that's what had happened. But thank you to all those people that were saying those nice things about me um, as well. Uh, That's very humbling. Um, Well, my name is Patrick Armstrong. Um, I was born in Seoul, South Korea in 1990 and was pretty quickly adopted. I think it was like six or so months um that or after I would or after my birth date, which was in March, um, that I was adopted to a white family in Indiana. I grew up in a very small, conservative, predominantly white town, um, halfway between Chicago and Indianapolis. Um I have a younger sister who was also adopted and, uh, we did not have a whole lot of like racial mirrors in our small town growing up and, um, eventually left there, uh, went to college at Purdue university, uh, spent actually one semester at ball state, then went to Purdue, started to diversify my mindset and get out in the world and just kind of live on my own for, for the first time and, um, didn't graduate from college eventually made my way to multiple different cities, uh, doing work in multiple different industries. Um, eventually found myself in Chicago, uh, with my now wife, um, in 2018 and in 2018, 2019 founded a nonprofit organization called all times are local, uh, where we help Older foster youth get connected with cell phones and unlimited data um, that who older foster youth who are at risk of aging out of the system. Um, And that was technically the first time that I even did anything tangentially connected to adoption or anything like that, but wasn't even thinking of myself as an adoptee. That would come a year after uh, when we had moved back to Indianapolis and was right after the murder of George Floyd, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. And I was feeling like I was going through something and my wife and I were watching Always Be My Baby. It's a movie on Netflix with Randall Park and Allie Wong. And yeah. I just remember thinking to myself, I don't know what I'm going to leave to my kids, you know, our kids when they eventually come about uh, from my heritage. Cause I don't know anything. I don't have any of that. So that led me down the rabbit hole of Dear Asian Americans, which eventually led me to, Starting the John Chi Show with KJ Relke and Nathan Nowak, and then doing everything that we did on Clubhouse uh, with Michaela Gessford and Katie Gagel, um, and Jess Mori and uh, Charlotte Carbone and Ailey Steele. Just gonna shout everybody out! Yeah,
0: go for it! <laughs> I gotta they get love them out it. there. It's the community, um,
1: <laughs> and um, yeah, which has led me to honestly last November, which was my first nom. Uh, and the first time that I told my story publicly on Instagram and started to create content, not only surrounded, centered around my own experiences as an adoptee, but starting to delve into the deeper topics, the wider, broader conversations that happen in our community. Um, which brings us to today. So yeah. <laughs> sorry, I get a little rambly. I don't know if you know that is show, totally fine. And
0: there are there are so many things in there that I can relate to. Like, <laughs> I was born in Colombia and I grew up in Sweden. So you can imagine that I can relate to that sense of no representation around me whatsoever. And I'm curious to hear, like, how did you make sense of that? Even, like as a child, did you was it something you thought about or? or- noticed or something you've let back on and realized later on because me I only realized now as an adult one side of the fog that that did affect me I didn't think that back then but today I can definitely see ways that it did
1: yeah very similarly to you I don't think that as a child I was or growing up that it was affecting me but it very obviously was because I was suppressing everything that was affecting me in those moments um you know, I think I my parents were very. I have a to just to get it off the bat. I have a good relationship with my adoptive family, and um they were open that we were adopted, yeah. but they I will say that they did take like a colorblind approach to raising us yeah. because I mean that's what that's how you raised your kids um uh, back then and. That I really internalized all of that. I really internalized that train of thought, but looking different and feeling different and then not having any connection outside of like one cartoon, like the Jackie Chan adventures. Um, yeah, I was really, I didn't, I knew that I looked different. And I didn't want to. So something that I've been talking about more recently, but a memory that really sticks with me is that I remember in like seventh grade, I, was praying to God like why like make me white like why did you make me look so different and make me different mm. and you know like I think that was probably like a month's worth of time um, and it eventually just passed you know I suppressed it down and, and, and yeah. continued on because I really chased acceptance and really wanted to be accepted so that's was that was how I was coping with that was not coping with it at all Um, and really just going in the other direction, taking in everything that I could of the community I was growing up in, you know, where I did make friends and I had, uh, generally positive childhood and adolescence, you know, and a young adulthood, but with the underlying tension of just like ethnic and identity suppression.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh. I, I (laughs) definitely hear and feel that, um, I think as adoptees, we just, we're good at internalizing, we're good at minimizing and normalizing, uh, whether it's racial or, or just in terms of relationships or just the whole enormousness of the, the experience of just being an adoptee, being um, put into a family that for some, yes, the bonds are created and it, and it works and there's a beautiful connection. And for some, that just never comes. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. I have bits and pieces too where I remember like wanting to have well today I straightened my hair, but I my natural hair is curly and I actually <laughs> like that today. I wear it with pride. But um as a child having all these friends with blonde straight hair, I would like yeah. pull my hair, not want it to dry after the shower because then it would curl up. So yeah, just little things like that. Um and looking back, you realize kind of uh kind of crazy. So let me ask you then today, how are you sort of reclaiming, if you are, because this is also very individual uh, between different adoptees. Some adoptees are very, oh, I'm going to get to know my culture. I'm going to go to my country. I'm going to, you know, really immerse myself in reclaiming my heritage. And some are just, not at all. Like, no, I'm American, I'm Swedish, whatever. But where do you stand on that and how, how are you feeling you are reclaiming a little bit maybe? Uh, <laughs> and if so, how?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm reclaiming a lot of it. Um, I think right now it's very adoptee driven in the journey mm-hmm. and focus that I'm on in, in terms of reclaiming that part of my identity. Um, for me, it's really been a journey. I actually just posted about this, uh, about, um, the journey of reclamation for me being very fluid, like an ongoing fluid process, because when I started this journey, it was very much about my ethnic identity. Like I had never identified as Asian or Korean, like never really truly thought that about myself. And so it was, it was all about that uh, to start. Um, And then like the first few people I talked to specifically the very first person that I reached out to the first guest on dear Asian Americans sent me a study about Korean adoption. Um, it's called too white to be Korean, too Korean to be white. And it was Mm -hmm. the first time I'd ever read anything that even used the word adoptee. Uh, but let alone talked about the experiences. And I was reading that my own experiences on that page and was just crying. And I was like, why are you crying about this scholastic article? Like you're supposed to just read this analytically. And it was just, it was profound. And so it was very, so at the start, it was very much about my ethnic identity. It shifted To becoming part of my adoptee identity then it was a wrestling between those two i think because we're doing the john chi show where it's about celebrating both and so Mm -hmm. we do a lot of trying to reclaim our culture in different ways like we were doing the korean culture dictionary um different chapters and reading through that um but i would say that overall for me it's been a lot more about reclaiming my adoptee identity because I just feel like I've done so much internalization and I've been so resistant to anything Asian for a long time that it's hard for, it's been difficult for me to, to really step into like a cultural competency, uh, when it comes to Korea and when it comes to like Asian culture. And I really want to, it's just, now that I've been in community with so many adoptees and know about all the different things that, all the different intersections that we sit at, it's like, I I don't want to box myself in because I know when I dive into culture, it's going to be a full bore experience because that's just kind of the personality that I have. And I will want my focus to be kind of solely on that, to Mm -hmm. try and get the language to really, really be immersed in the culture. But for now, It's the bits and pieces that I can really assimilate into, whether it's just a word um, or a phrase or just understanding of a cultural concept like Han or Jong that I'm sticking with. And it's great because I'm lucky enough to have Nathan and KJ uh, and our producer, Jerry, who is... um, second generation korean first generation korean uh i don't know how those work um sorry jerry but, but... not an adoptee <laughs> yeah but, not an uh, adoptee yeah. but who's been an amazing ally and who give me wow. the space to move in my own path move at my own pace because that's what we all kind of need i think that i've learned in, in being in community is that everybody's at a different spot and especially when it comes to reclamation. You never know what that's going to look like for the next person, and you right. never know where they're going to be at, and you all you all we can do is try and meet them where they are, and hopefully they can try and meet us where we're at, and um, yeah. So right now, very much adoptee focused, uh, with as much Korean culture as I can possibly. Uh, fit in the margins. So yeah. yeah, I hope that answers that question. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you know, this space is yours to share. I ask a question, but then wherever you feel that that answer takes you, go with it uh, because I'm sure that whoever listens in fellow adoptees, they, there will be bits and pieces that they will relate to and just go like, Oh, I can't believe somebody actually said it out loud. Cause I had that experience too. And I think many of us do. Where oh, yeah. uh, once you start connecting with fellow adoptees you hear them say things out loud that you have carried and you didn't know that you could actually say it out loud and survive it right because it feels heavy it oh feels yeah. not having had that space not having known that it makes sense it has an explanation it's natural you're okay you're normal but instead, oh, again, yeah. internalizing and go like, there's something wrong with me. Like, why do I feel this way? Do I, why do I have these questions when everybody's saying that adoption is awesome and wonderful and beautiful? But but I, I feel even, you know, and no matter how much you love your parents and no matter, you know, the best of adoptive families, there's still that trauma, right? Before, exactly. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah, just having the room to recognize that and, and hearing from fellow adoptees, for me, that was monumental and i can relate to the the movie thing you mentioned <laughs> i wanted to just say because i watched um john Leguizamo's, uh netflix special a few years okay. ago which was latin history for morons or something for dummies or something like that and <laughs> he goes through this whole the whole comedy show is about how latin america has its own heroes and its own historical he's helping his son uh write a, a like a, a paper for school and um watching that I was like holy crap like (laughs) I have history like my history is not in Sweden my heritage is not in Sweden like my ancestor and and my heroes are are over there in South America and so I wrote this blog post called I grew up white and then it's a whole like revelation for myself on how like no I'm I'm a person of color and and but I don't have the experience of of really being a person of color growing up in Sweden among only white people so (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely it really is like a dawning it's just like you know it just happens it's I don't know it's just like a moment that clicks so yeah it's like that light bulb in the cartoons yeah yeah the light bulb.
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is really what it feels and sometimes it's a light bulb that you kind of just want to shut and then you don't want to deal with it and sometimes it's like really empowering so yeah um I can absolutely relate to that so you had mentioned navigating the fog so with all my guests i have a little bit of email communication beforehand to kind of i ask some questions and, and mm-hmm. kind of um prepare a little bit to see like oh what's interesting to you what do you want to talk about like to to give you the space here on the podcast episode so you mentioned navigating the fog when i asked sort of where are you in your journey i don't know if that's changed because it wasn't a, <laughs> a while ago since i did ask you but um i like how you say navigating the fog versus like I'm coming out of the fog where I've come out of the fog because it, it, it sort of entails this never ending process. And, and so if you want to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. I um, I don't remember when I originally submitted this because I was looking at some of my Two answers. I was ago. like, I was like, Oh yeah, I am kind of in a different place. So that's all yeah. I said. I said, i like, I'd say I'm navigating the fog. And I'm like, that's a terrible answer. <laughs> 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 Just like I, I gave you nothing. Um, well, but, so let's I dive mean, in. Here you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I would say I am still navigating the fog, um, but in different ways. Uh, I think one of those ways is in being intentional about the language trying to be as intentional as possible about the language that I use. Um, so one. So a conversation I've had with a with another or a fellow adoptee was about like coming out of the fog as a term that we use and how it's really wasn't coined by us, but by a white adoptive parent. And so while I understand it as a phrase as a powerful phrase of like identifying what is happening to me uh, on my journey, like when I'm just having all these thoughts and realizations, um, I've been trying to say like I'm coming to terms with my adoption more so it's not maybe not better it's maybe not better but and i do like navigating the fog i think navigating is different because like you said it uh, implies perpetual motion like a a never-ending journey um but thinking about being just being intentional with what i'm saying and how i'm talking about not only my experience but especially when i'm trying to relay um from a general perspective so where it's like when I, when you're saying many adoptees or or most adoptees, like trying to make sure I'm being as inclusive as possible. And also if necessary, caveating, this is what, you know, not everyone's experience or not, uh, the end all be all equation. This is just, you know, an observation from this standpoint, from one person's perspective. Um, and I think that that has really parlayed itself into writing more. So I think, and really just pouring myself out, especially, uh, this November, um, we're not even two full weeks in and I feel like I've done too much. already. <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired. I'm just like, I'm yeah. tired. Um, I was exhausted
0: before it started. Cause I did yeah. three, three noms before this one. So yeah. I'm like, no, nope, I'm, I'm handing over the baton. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Year. And I think that's, I mean, and yeah. it's, you know, it's adoptees like yourself who have laid the foundation for adoptees like me, who are newer to the journey, to be able to pour out in this way. And I think just writing more and really like telling my story and my and, and figuring out how uh, the best ways for me to tell that story um, have come with that learning of the new language and utilizing it, and being intentional, and it's allowed me not only to pen my own experience but to tell that experience within the larger framework of like the systemic issues of adoption or um like the what I wrote about today um the loss or us being left out of the conversations for the wider pan and pan-ethnic diasporas that we come from respectively Mm -hmm. um you know figure or, or citizenship figuring out like where my my story uh, and my experience as an adoptee fits into those narratives and how I can amplify and support the adoptees who do experience those things uh, and who are affected by things like citizenship um, use my experience to help amplify that experience and that story. Um, And so really being intentional while navigating to understand when it's not just me that I'm speaking about, but also, speaking about the uh, other people in the community and figuring out not how to speak over them or for them, but how to amplify their message and their voice so that they're heard just as much as me or more. Like I don't care if people hear me, to be honest, I want to, I want people to hear other people because at the end of the day, I'm a straight male um, who comes from a up or like a middle-class up slightly upper middle-class family um who is has a lot of privilege you know and who is really goes wanting for not very much and like we talked about earlier you know it doesn't mean that I don't struggle with stuff 100% do especially from uh my adoptee or the adoption standpoint but it's also like there's enough of me there's enough of me talking like I want to hear the other voices and so I have to, and how do I use my privilege? How do I use where I'm standing at to be able to amplify and support and lift up uh, the people who don't have those same privileges?
0: I love it. And uh, I think we share that. I I can still relate to, while I started out sharing my story, it's, my story is just a little part of what it is that I'm trying to do here. It's this, it's the connections, it's the trying to create space, trying to tell Show, not tell, but show fellow adoptees. Like, you can tell your story. You can own your story. Here's how I did it. If that can help you in any way. And if I can just let one person out there know that you're not alone, then yeah, I can. I love everything you said and and the language part. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if you know, but anyone who's followed me for like five minutes probably knows that language is one of the driving forces that I'm really pushing with this adoptee life. And so I don't recite my paperwork when I tell my story. I have come up with ways to work around that entirely shedding what I've been told or what I've read, You know, the story that other people have given to me and I've claimed and made my own. The facts are the same, but it's how I tell it. And so that ownership, and then that allows me to, just give others the space to have ownership of their story and it can be as different or as similar to mine like you can sit and say I had a wonderful life as an adoptee and I will grant you that you know that space to to have that experience because now I am so steadfast in my story and how I tell it that yeah I I totally I love everything you said there about language and just Exploring—that's why I say, you know, we explore our stories yeah. here on this adoptive life. We we challenge what we've been told, and we go a little further. Does that chosen? No, I wasn't chosen. I was available. That's the word I use. Sure. Um, adopted to Sweden? Mm, I was taken to Sweden. That fits sure. more the experience, you know. So, and constantly changing that too. Telling your stories and never ending. You know, allowing for change as you change your perspective and your experience so thank you for for bringing that up and um yeah absolutely yeah we can have more conversations <laughs> just oh on yeah. that I would love that absolutely and so the, it kind of touched a little bit um about um, the next point I want to bring up which is you mentioned to me that um one of the reasons you wanted to come on this adopted life was to well share from your story but uh help bring people uh to the community um like that's a driving force of yours and so um where where do we find you how do we connect with you and how are you out there like kind of how are you bringing people in and um how is that i guess a follow-up question like what is that doing in your life um, as an adoptee as well
1: yeah, so I'm primarily active on Instagram under my handle Patrick in the world. Um, you have three other ones listed here, and I'm just realizing now that I have too many Instagram accounts. Um, I <laughs> think a lot place... <laughs> of us. I've,
0: I've downsized my <laughs> yeah,
1: my accounts, but
0: yeah, I've been I'm there.
1: Like, I got to get rid of some of these. Um, <laughs> um, the show, the John Chi show, is another place that I'm very active. That we are actively looking to facilitate and create and foster community um, whether that be having people guests on the show who have maybe are telling their story for the first time in this type of uh, Mm -hmm. format or whether it's in the Facebook group Um, confession I am no longer on Facebook I deleted that I'm done with it but uh, I know KJ and Nathan are and I know we have the after party going so another place for people to gather and We just this past year to celebrate our one year anniversary and for KJ, Nathan and I to meet in person for the very first time, um, Jerry, our producer flew us out to L.A. and we did a live show out there and like 30, 40 people showed up adoptees their their partners you know allies it was incredible it was incredible i wish Um, i
0: would have known i'm in san diego i would have told you enough next time you let me know next time But we're
1: planning on doing it again next year so um but yeah it was just like through the show we've been able to do so much and because of the show that has given me the confidence uh as an adoptee and helped me build that confidence in knowing not knowing but taking the steps to embrace new newcomers to the community. So that's what we were doing on clubhouse, which you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when Michaela and I uh, in January or maybe it's late December. uh, No, I think it was January. We got on clubhouse and there was not a whole lot of activity, but there's a lot of like Asian American rooms and we were in those and it felt like there's just a lot of talk, not a lot of adoptee stuff. So we were like, we want to make our own space and give people space to be able to share about their own experiences. So we started the Asian Adoptee Clubhouse, uh, club or the Asian, I don't know, the Asian Adoptee Club. I'm calling it club. Um, and just invited people in and invited people from that. We were following on Instagram. Um, and I think the very first session we had maybe seven or eight people, um, the majority of those were the were the people I listed off at the beginning of this Mm. um Jess Charlotte Ailey Katie Michaela and myself and then Jake Kroger uh at not the supermarket comedian uh um Filipino adoptee he uh was has was there from the very start and it was just a palpable energy uh between those conversations we were on the we were on a call for like 30 minutes or 30 minutes, like three hours. It yeah. was wild. And I just remember being like, all right, we're going to do this every week. And we all just kept coming back week after week. And by the sixth or seventh week, we were ha- we were averaging like 40, anywhere between 40 and like 70 people in the Sunday wow. rooms. And it was huge. And it like blew up and it was very, it became very clear how necessary it was uh, for a space like this, because people yeah. were clamoring for it, it wasn't like people are just kind of looking, like people were flocking to this room to share. And we had some amazing stories shared. We had somebody, we, I remember the third day that we, or the third time we did this, we had somebody literally, and I'm going to say coming out of the fog, but literally oh, yeah. having this conversation for the very first time. And like, it was. It was tragic, but it was beautiful because we were there to support her in that, support them in that. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just like, it really hammered home the idea of the importance of connection between adoptees and the community and just letting people know that you're there. And so that's really what, that's really culminated in what I'm doing now locally in Indianapolis uh, is... I recently were, I did a I I attended a vigil for um, the Asian American community last April or May, mm-hmm. and I ended up going up and giving a speech, and I just happened to be the one of the last people, and like three or two or three adoptees went before me, and I was like, okay, I knew there were other adoptees here, but like, here here's the evidence, and then it turns out in the crowd, there were like 10 of us, and so we... We're just like we all met and exchanged numbers, and we just like been slowly like meeting on Zoom, and now uh, launched the Asian Adoptees of Indiana group on Instagram, and we meet every Sunday. And yes. last Sunday, before our reclamation panel, Katie and I's reclamation panel, we had our weekly meeting. And I won't lie, I was kind of like I was tired, and I was like I'm ready because I work on Sundays, and I'm like I'm just ready for the panel. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go to the room, and four people came that had or one person returned or two people returned actually and three new people showed up and it was the best conversation. And I was like, see, if you didn't show up here, none of this would have happened. Right. And it was like, and it was so important to, for them to share. And it was like, and it's just a diverse group of us. Um, and it was awesome. It was amazing. And so it's, it's just like, it's, it's weird to think about for me because I think about that moment on the couch uh, where yeah. I was like, I need to learn more about my ethnicity And now and then to think about everything that's happened since then and to know that I'm connecting with other adoptees just in my own personal life, in my own backyard, um, it just blows my mind. And I'm extremely humbled and grateful for the opportunity to be able to have these conversations. Um, But it's it's I say all of that just to say to anybody listening like, that's the importance of it. And it really does when you first have those conversations and then you show up and then you make the time to kind of get back in the room and to continue, whether you're sharing or not, even if you're just listening. Like, it's so important um, to be affirmed in that way. Like you said, to like the first times that you heard adoptees sharing, um, I can't even remember what you said specifically earlier. Um, but it, was,
0: uh, it was like hearing somebody speak my. Thoughts and feelings, and first oh, yeah, yeah. realizing exactly. it's okay exactly. to speak yeah. it out loud. Just, yeah,
1: just knowing that we're in, even though all of our experiences are different, that we have similar themes that run through them, and we can yeah. find similar foundational pieces uh, that have affected us in different ways, uh, yeah. which make us all different. So, yeah, that's the yeah, long absolutely. answer of uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's a conversation.
0: Yeah, no, and I the community part and the connection part. I've I've been in conversations, whether it's been just a one-on-one. Um, I've sort of walked uh, a few adoptees out of the fogs in my DMs or or you know via uh messages, direct messages on Facebook or emails and even um just conversations over the phone. And um yeah, just that once you Sit in that conversation. I feel like there's, there's something magical almost happening sometimes. So yeah. it's tangible when you, it's it's heartbreaking and sad when you can tell, like, okay, this person is headed down this road. But it's also, um, I think it comes with hope because it means you do get to reclaim yourself. If you push yeah. through, if you don't, you know, just stop and give up or run the other way, um, you push through uh, on the other side of that is all of us who are here to support all of us who are here to say, you know, you're fine. You're good. You're, you're okay. Nothing's wrong with you. We've been there. We are there. I hear you. I feel you, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of that. And then hopefully getting to the point of like, you know what, I can accept everything that I feel, everything about me. I don't need to accept adoption. If, if you don't, you know, if that's something you struggle with. You don't have to accept that. You don't have to forgive every person who has done you wrong, but you can just know that it's okay to accept yourself and your anger, your hurt, your, you know, all of that. Um, it's okay.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, you said something earlier that I think is just so true about it. And especially now that I'm like thinking about how I've just rambled on each answer for like six minutes uninterrupted. Um, <laughs> you see, you, you called it enormous. Like the journey is enormous. And I think that's yeah. a really appropriate word to describe it because it is so much. Um, it is just, it's an enormous, not necessarily a burden, but it's just a really large thing that is always with you, but you may never know it's with you until right. you're 30, 40, 50 years old and yeah. you're going through that. And yeah. so, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah. I just felt like everything that we just kind that's of- It's actually about the here, first
0: time I used that word, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think it's super <laughs> it, it just, appropriate. That, that's it what makes came so to much me. sense. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then just, you know, Yeah it's, it's earth shattering in a way. And that's, I think that's why coming out of the fog doesn't work for me either to just go back to that a little bit. Uh, And I've, I've made that sort of public that, no, that's not, I don't, that's not what I feel happened to me. It was not this calm walk and the fog lifted. No, it was like think of trying to run away from an earthquake or, or being in the middle of a you know, wild stormy ocean where you get pushed under the waves and you're trying to, you know, gasp for air that, that felt more like, how I would describe it. Sure, Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm trying to find a new term for that and adopt the coined term for that whole process. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get one. We'll get one. So, and I guess this can lead us into uh, a topic you had mentioned that I think is a really good one, um, which is, you know, as you're coming out of the fog, because let's use that term, we don't have another one yet. Um, (laughs) For many of us, we try to have conversations with our adoptive parents and it can be met different with different levels of acceptance or, or holding space or dismissal and gaslighting but um, how have you sort of gone about having conversations with your adoptive parents and maybe if you have suggestion or, or advice or anything to share with fellow adoptees who are just sort of wondering like how on earth do I bring this up to my, to my parents?
1: It's, it's tough. Um, I'll say even personally now, I still struggle with it uh, Mm -hmm. more so my dad than my mom. Um, And I don't know. It's, it's so for me, my parents and I have went through a lot of like going back and forth, not even about this, but about just like race in general and the, and, and in America, and just you know how we treat people who are different than us, mm. um, and you know I think that something that I just actually just thought of was like when I was having all of these conversations from like 2015 to 2019 with my mom, especially because we're the ones that really can like butt heads because we have similar personalities. Um, my biggest critique was like, how can you support like Donald Trump who is xenophobic and uh, hates? all other people that are different than him and like know that you have two kids, uh, that are from countries that he does not care for. Mm -hmm. You know, I just never, I couldn't like, that was the thought I always had in my head. And you know, it really did take all of that time having these conversations with her to finally get to a a point of where she's like, where it was like starting to make sense. And she did make changes and did make strides. Uh, a lot of them. I have to give her a lot of credit for that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I'm starting to do the show and going through this journey, um, I will say my mom was always supportive of me ever going and looking or doing any of that, you know, and I had internalized so much. I was like, I'll never probably ever do that. I have a family, all of all of that spiel. Um, but starting to do this and starting to do the show, you know, I'm telling her, Hey, I'm going to do a podcast. It's about adoption and, you know, exploring all of that. And I don't really know exactly what she thought at the beginning, but she's listened to every episode. And, um, you know, there was the episode we put on an episode like right. I think a week after Atlanta, uh, last year in March, the Atlanta shootings for anyone. Uh, I'm not even going to go into it for trigger warnings and all of that. Um, just cause it's making me emotional. I think thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, but i was just really angry and i think i had been doing the show for like 6 months and it was really cathartic for me but i felt like with all of the this background um news about what was happening to asians in this country all throughout the year and all throughout corona or the pandemic um it just made me really, I was felt feeling really angry and alone uh, because, like, none of my close friends or, like, my family was, like, saying anything, and I felt like, you know, I was just, it was kind of just, who cares? That's what the mm-hmm. attitude, to me, it seemed like. And that episode came out, and my mom, and I just, i lay. I got a lot out. I got really emotional on that episode. My mom, like, a few days later texted me, and she said, or actually, or I was at work, and she said that, she apologized for how she, we were raised as kids. And she said she would, she couldn't, she understands that she could never understand what it was like to be Mm -hmm. Asian as a white person. And I just like broke down in tears in my workplace. And like, luckily they let me go home. And, but it was like, that was a huge moment. That was a huge healing moment. And we've actually had a number of those. Um, now since that one, um, even just a few weeks ago, we had one, um, where we're reconciling as I'm sharing my journey, you know, she's really is walking in this with me and I can't, I'm really appreciative of that because I know not many or every adoptee is going to have that uh, kind of support. And I wish they did. um, But the reality is not everybody does. And so I'm really privileged and grateful or really privileged and, I'm thankful. I won't say I'm grateful, but I'm thankful for my for my mom, my adoptive mom, to take these steps with me uh, as I go through this. And um, I would say that the best way to approach these conversations is just from a place of safety for yourself and yeah. um, being as honest as you can possibly be with them and with yourself. I'm getting emotional right now talking I about this. I love that.
0: <laughs> oh, no, but it is um, – But yeah, I would
1: say that's my piece of advice is approach it from a place of honesty. I'm, I'm again, privileged because I do this podcast where I can get this out. I don't necessarily have to confront her directly. And then we can talk about it afterwards. Not everybody's going to have that. Um, not everybody's going to have somebody who listens to it every day or every week and knows what you've just talked about. And then talk, we'll talk to you about it. Yeah. But if you're no, able but I to love find that, that,
0: you're <laughs> sharing this because if adoptive parents are listening in here, you have an example, you know, when, yeah, when you feel sure. inclined to ask an adoptee, like, Oh, but what should I have done? Or what should I do? That's it. Your, your adoptive mom is, is doing it. And so, and, and, Then they get to hear what is your reflection back on that, how you uh, feel thankful for that and how that is actually creating real bonds when we can be honest, even if honest can be really tough and heavy and heartbreaking. But the fact that she can sit in that with you and just accept and allow you to feel and express your feelings, because isn't that at the end what we all need and want as adoptees trying to just kind of speak our truth right and I think a lot of us uh, the the angriest ones to the happiest ones you know as just as human beings that's what we need we need to feel loved heard seen accepted and, and have that connection so I thank you so much for sharing that um, yeah
1: definitely I haven't I don't I haven't yeah like absolutely that, that big reflection. props to
0: your mom for sure I I give her I am I'm thankful to her <laughs> as yeah, well proud, as I'm somebody her, who did not have that experience at all yeah. um, granted we never really had a close relationship to begin with so it's hard to build a close relationship off of me coming out of the fog and trying to have those conversations but yeah sure Um, Well,
1: I I appreciate that. I appreciate the space for it. But and again, but that's what I mean, or what we were talking about intentionality with how I speak about my experiences is very much like I do. It makes me more emotional because I know that this is not an outcome that every adoptee is going to get. And, you know, like, I want to hold on to that with everything that I have. So that way I can pass it on um, and and support or whatever uh, another any other adoptee needs. So, yeah,
0: I think it can provide hope that that's what I see. So that is beautiful. So um, before we round it off, I have this question that I ask all my guests. uh, And I usually do this little intro, like preface to this question, but um, I'm a person who believes in the power of the universe, or, uh, you know, speaking things out loud and manifesting. And I believe that if we can do it together, and sort of in a collective energy, um, I want to give my adoptee guests who come on the space to speak their dream out into the universe out loud. So my question to you, Patrick, is: What is your dream for adoptees?
1: Who, when I read this, it can be big. It can be small.
0: It just has to be yours.
1: (laughs) I have, I have a lot of, I have a lot of small dreams that add up to big things. Um, You know citizenship access to birth records that those type of logistical things that we should all have i think we should though that's what i want to speak into existence uh as soon as possible uh, because i think it levels the playing field for us a little bit but my dream for adoptees is to just is to what you know i've been thinking about this and i think it's one uh, just one day where not only are we accepted for who we are in our ethnicities, uh, but also not denying our adoptee identities um, from the larger outside groups, from our allies and the people, the communities around us, but that we also accept ourselves in that way. And I think, I think it's a, I think it's a dream. I think it's a big dream because it's always going to be nuanced in the way that we feel and experience our, our adoptions and the way that we navigate and go about understanding what it means. And that means that all of that, being able to know ourselves in that way and to give ourselves that space and that grace means that we are going to go through some difficult times and some troubling, some troubling things. And yeah. that's why, and, and, and it's a dream, but it's a dream that I think we could get to one day because the support systems will be in place and we'll know that even when we're going through the toughest of times that we're not alone uh, in that journey and that we can, we can go low uh, and still know that we're going to come out the other end. All right.
0: Yes. I love that. I stand with you in that dream. And uh, yeah. Thank you for speaking that out loud for us to support. And I want to say thank you for sitting down with me in this conversation, for taking the time coming on as a guest on my podcast and for supporting me as a fellow podcaster.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. How's it? Let me ask you one question. How's it going so far? How's it going so far? It's
0: going really well. Uh, The editing and stuff. That's, you know, the logistics (laughs) and I'm not loving it, but um, I'm also not doing a whole lot of it, but I love the conversations. This is, I'm in my element and I love this connection. I love to, I feel like it's such a privilege at this point to, to have this adoptee life and and where it's gone so that I can, you know, be at a point where I can say, Hey, I have a bit of a platform. If you're a fellow adoptee, I would love to get the word out there about your book, about your show, about your story, you know, anything big or small. um, However I can support with this adoptee life. So I am loving it and I hope it grows and, you know, I hope the community grows and that we as adoptees can just grow together.
1: And I think, I think it will. And I'll I'll just end by saying that, you know, I started following this adoptee life pretty early on and um, you're one of the accounts or you're one of the people that really, like you said, is challenging, you know, the established narrative and that's what we need to do. And you're a huge inspiration to me and knowing that you were going to start a podcast, I immediately wanted to jump at the opportunity to be a guest here Um, because I knew it would be a great conversation and you are a fantastic interviewer, much better than myself. So (laughs) um, I thought, yeah, this was a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm very humbled to be here and I I really appreciate what you're doing for us uh, in the community.
0: Right back at you, Patrick. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode, for spending this time with me and Patrick, as we talked about several topics relating to our adoptee experience. If you haven't already, go ahead and follow this Adoptee Life podcast, and please consider leaving a review. It really does make a difference, and it helps me reach more people and hopefully more adoptees who can feel validated, supported, and encouraged by hearing from other fellow adoptees who come on this podcast and share from their lives and their experiences. With that, I say to all my fellow adoptees, P.S., we are all in this together.